we return again, finishing up a message from last week, the gospel-centered life. And um, this kind of fits perfectly for as we run to Good Friday, as we run to uh, Easter, we are seeing how our hearts have been challenged to carefully remember the gospel of Christ and the cross of Christ. Remember with me our series from a couple of weeks ago, The Lord's Supper, Remembering the Cross. And one of the great points of that whole series of four messages that we did was that we recognize that every time that the church observes the Lord's Supper, the point is to obey Jesus' command to remember Him, to remember what He did, to remember that He went to the cross. He went to death, the Creator King, the spotless Lamb of God, would go for sinners to the cross, that He would come and He would die for us. And then we're coming to Easter, but as just after Easter, we're going to be opening and looking to 1 John. So uh, if you haven't begun reading 1 John, I want to encourage you to start reading that. And um, there is a, a beautiful message for us in this. This will be beginning um, after Easter as we run to 1 John. But this morning we want to come and finish this message on the gospel-centered life and how we either grow or shrink the gospel in our lives. And um, this is an important message that helps us see not only the gospel, listen to this, not only the gospel of salvation, but also the gospel of daily life, the gospel of how to be a Christian. You remember, I was down a couple of weeks ago working at my parents' house, and a young man said to me, how in the world do you do that? How in the world are you a Christian? I mean, he, he was looking at me, and he was like, you're an old guy. I mean, I mean, that's what, you know, if you're in your early 20s, a guy in his early 50s, he's old, you know. So he's looking at me, and he goes, you, you've done that all this time? I mean, he was kind of marveling at the fact that, and I, and I just was able, he said, how do you do that? And I was able to say to him, I really don't. It is God who does that in every believer. He not only comes and He saves us, but listen to this. He gives us what we need through the gospel. He gives us the power and the strength and the vision to obey. So it's not just who can be holiest, uh, holy enough for it. We see that because Christ is holy, we can become holy. So we notice this diagram at the top. The first page is just review. This is especially for anybody who has either short-term memory loss or um, anybody who uh, is new to us. And we're going to go very fast, and then we're going to look at two concepts of shrinking the cross. How do we shrink the cross in our life, which isn't a good thing? And how do we grow the cross in our lives, which is a very good thing? So the first one is, notice here with me this cross, and I, I want us to kind of look at this and go ahead and progress through to the large cross. Here we go, guys. As we become a Christian, 
and we, we, we see the cross of Christ, as time goes on, the cross should become bigger and bigger and bigger to us. What do we mean by that? We should appreciate it more. We should see what, it ha- what happened at our conversion more. We should see the greatness of what God has done. So fill this in with me at the bottom there, or, or in the middle of the page there, underneath the cross chart. At the point of conversion, I have a very limited view of two things. One, God's holiness, and two, my sin. I I might see that God is holy a little bit, and I might see that I'm somewhat sinful, but usually we don't have a very big vision for that. But as we grow more and as we study, look at the next part. As time goes on, I should grow in my fill-it-in awareness of both of these. I should grow in awareness of God's great holiness, and I should also grow in awareness of just how sinful I really am. And so we, bullet point number one there is I begin to see God as He actually is. And that's where we see Isaiah 55. And we see several other passages, but Isaiah 55 is one. Notice the screen in front of you. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Look at verse 9. Let's read it out loud together. It's on the screen in front of you. Let's read it out loud. Read through your mask, so let's do it. For as, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, that's a very comforting thing, that God is way beyond who we are. That when you have problems in life, it's very wonderful to know that the God who sees you and knows what's going on and He knows what He's doing, He has purposes in the good times and He has purposes in the bad times through your life to bring you glory. And you can trust Him because He is so much greater than we are. Not only do we begin to see God as He actually is, but we begin to see, I should begin to see, myself as I actually am. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, man, my heart is wicked. Look what it says there on the screen. Verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and what? Desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So we start to see, wow, even my heart is messed up, and I need a Savior. And that's part of how that cross grows. You see, so notice here with me, the cross or the gospel gets bigger and bigger in my mind intellectually and in my heart devotionally. So I I come to appreciate it that much more as time goes on. So that's the cross chart of the growing cross, but we notice the cross chart um, that is the shrinking cross. You see, underneath that one, it says, unfortunately, sanctification or growth in holiness and in knowledge doesn't always work as neatly as we would like. Our sin and flesh tend to what? Minimize the gospel. You see, sometimes when we come to, the, come to faith in Christ, we may not be well-discipled, we may not be well-taught, or we may not be very disciplined. And as time goes on, we're not really challenged to go on and grow in, the, in our relationship with God. This is especially a problem with many 
um, Southern Baptist churches and other Protestant churches that emphasize salvation, 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 and emphasize very little about going on and growing and serving the Lord. You know, there are some churches that every time you go to church, the message is always simply a gospel presentation. There's not a careful exposition or teaching of the Word of God. We don't move carefully through books of the Bible. There are some churches that it is constantly an evangelical message, an evangelistic sermon every single Sunday. Should we have evangelistic sermons? Absolutely. Should every sermon incorporate part of it as an evangelistic appeal? Absolutely. But you cannot grow a flock, you cannot grow sheep on the, the milk of the word of salvation in Christ alone. We see many places of Scripture that it says the gospel is more than just saving you from hell. The gospel is so much more from your own what we often call fire insurance. The gospel is so much more. It's the life lived in tune with God, glorifying God, honoring God. So we have to go on beyond a very elementary or maybe, how about this, very self-centered um, approach to the gospel. You see, notice this. I am likely to underestimate God's holiness and power if I'm not taught more. And I'm likely to overestimate my righteousness and ability. You see, there are some Christians who've not been taught the great grandeur of who God is in His sovereignty and holiness or the depth of their need for Him. So let's talk about how do we shrink the cross? How do we shrink the cross? If we see that this is possible, that it's, it's times that maybe you may go through seasons in your life, or maybe it's unfortunately the trajectory of your Christian life, that you are about shrinking the cross. Now, uh, after the sermon last Sunday, a couple of folks come, came to me and they were like, man, is it really possible though for a Christian to shrink the cross? Pastor, isn't that talking about somebody who's self-deceived, that they're not really a Christian, that the, that the cross doesn't really grow with them, they don't come to appreciate what Jesus has done more and more and more and more? I would say yes, except for in 2 Peter, it does say, if you go back and look at the passage that we looked at, it says that you've forgotten that your sins were forgiven. And when God forgives sins, He fully forgives sins forever. So the picture is, is that He was talking to believers. And we see passages in, in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians where we definitely see some Christians struggling for a time and struggling greatly with their sins, struggling greatly with their flesh, but we see that they are Christians and that they're being called to come out of that and go on and grow with the Lord. Now, the sign of a true Christian is that he's going to be on an upward path. That is the sign of a true Christian. He's going to be growing in knowledge of God. He's going to be growing in holiness. He's going to be growing in the salvation that he has been given. But it is possible at times in our lives to go through periods where we are shrinking the cross. And, and how do we do that? How do we shrink the cross? Two key words, pretending and performing. Pretending and performing. 
And I pray that this helps us this morning to evaluate our hearts. First of all, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1 and 2. And this is that letter to the Corinthian church that is challenging them to turn away from their sin and to turn to God in many different ways, in their sexual morality and in their unity and in their theology, all of those things, they are being challenged to stop loving the world and stop loving themselves and start coming back to the basis of the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, circle the word if, look what it says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So it is possible to believe in vain. It is possible to to look at these things and not really come to a full understanding of the gospel in the the context of your own salvation. What he's calling the Corinthians to do is to evaluate their faith and to hold fast to the Word. Don't hold fast to anything else. So we can pretend and we can perform, we can shrink the cross, look at this, when we do not hold fast to the Word. That is the issue. Look at Colossians chapter 1 in verse 23. Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, that's a very important thought, that we continue in the faith, we don't abandon the faith. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Don't you want to be stable and steadfast? God calls us to be stable and steadfast. Let me me just help you out here. When you first get saved, you know, there's some real high highs and some real low lows and some high highs and some low lows. And what God has designed is that our high highs and our low lows would become more and more steadfast, more and more of a steady walk with Him. Not saying we won't have sometimes that are a little bit better than others and sometimes that are a little bit worse than others. We certainly may. But The stability and the steadfastness is what comes with true maturity of faith. So look at Colossians 1.23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, look what it says, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So God calls us to not pretend and perform shifting to other things, looking to other things, leaving the hope of the cross of Jesus Christ. Shrinking the cross by pretending, fill this in, shrinking the cross by pretending, and notice what it says after the word pretending, that we are better than we are. There's a lot of Christians, we can have a very shiny view of ourselves. And especially when we compare ourselves either to the world or to other Christians. And notice this with me, we can, be, we can do this through dishonesty. And we're not really being honest with ourselves. I'm not that bad. I, you know, it, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. What we need to recognize is that the gospel says, you're bad, we'll send you to hell. I remember hearing at a, at a young age um, at, at Florida State 
that the little old lady that lives across the street who makes casseroles for people in the neighborhood who is sick, who seems to just do no wrong, who just seems so sweet and so wonderful, without Christ is still a sinner who is guilty before God. The Bible makes very clear that there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 very clearly says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when we really begin to study the Bible, the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, paints a picture that even God's people are found wanting before Him without Messiah, without the great covering of their sins. So we need to recognize, know that we are that bad. And so we don't need a higher view of ourselves. We need a more accurate view of ourselves in light of God. You say, well, that might hurt my self-esteem. Well, listen, your self-esteem is not so important as your Christ-esteem. When you have esteem for Christ and when you have a higher and higher view of Christ and what he did on the cross for you, my friend, there is no self-esteem that can match that. When he says, I love you this much. And so this is the great healer to our minds and our hearts when we recognize how bad we are and how good he is. Number two, we can pretend by comparison. I'm not as bad as those people. Now you can do that toward people who are not Christians, people in society, and you can do that toward Christians. And I want to encourage you. Um, Right now, don't be saying, yeah, I know that guy. He compares himself to everybody. And I know her. She compares herself to everybody. Doesn't that sound a little strange? Well, do you? You know, we need to, we need to focus on ourselves. You know, a lot of times when my dad was correcting me, he would look at me and he'd say, now, son, when you sit down and talk about this, um, when you did this and when you said this, um, we, we, we have to work through this. You have, um, you've disobeyed me or you've been dishonoring in some way. And I would start talking about my brother and my sister. You know, trying to get the light off of, you know. And he'd say, we're not dealing with them right now. We're dealing with you. Doesn't matter about them. I'll deal with them. But right now I'm dealing with you. You know, sometimes that's what God's doing with us. And that's part of where we see that we're not supposed to be worried about the, the speck in our brother's eye when we have this log out of our own eye. Jesus made that very, very clear. So this idea of comparison, I'm not as bad as those people. Number three, we can pretend um, that we are better than we are by excuse-making. I'm really not that way, or if I'm that way, it is because. And then we give an excuse. Um, so we, we begin to excuse ourselves for our sin. Um, that, is, that is never the way that we see. We, we see examples in the Old Testament, examples in the New Testament of that. In fact, the very first time that God calls somebody to account is in the Garden of Eden. And when he looks at Adam and says, Adam, what have you done? What does he do? The woman you gave me. Immediately blame shifting, Right? Blame shifting is not what children of God are to do. They're to listen to God, look to God, 
and simply come before Him in repentance and brokenness. What about this one? A false righteousness. A false righteousness. Look at this. But look at all the good things I've done. And so we're, we're pretending that we're better than we are, and we're, we're making up for it in other ways. We can shrink the cross. You see, this is how we, we, we're, we're not really seeing ourselves as bad. We're not really seeing ourselves like other people. We, we, we kind of are self-deceived, thinking I'm not really that way, or look at all the good things that I've done. Friends, this definitely causes us to think higher of ourselves and less of what Christ has done to save us. Not only by we shrink the cross by pretending, but we can also shrink the cross by seeking to perform or performing so that we may feel we've earned God's approval. This is an incredibly great pitfall for many Christians. They seek to, in some way, pay penance by performing. They seek to, in some way, overcome their sin, their failure, or their trouble by performing. You see, notice the statement underneath that. What do I count on to give myself personal credibility? It's like we have to have personal credibility before God or before others. Looking for val validity, acceptance, or good standing. Now, there's things that we can do, and when we do this, it makes the cross smaller and us greater. What about when we look at our fill it in, our church righteousness? Okay, I, I got to start with that one because here we are. This is the crowd that's here. Praise God. Glad you're here. But we need to think, we need to understand that we're not doing God any favors by being here. We're not doing anything that God is indebted to us because we are here. The real motivation of if we are here is that we've sensed God's leading us to be here. There's been this strange interest. There's been this strange openness. We felt something in our, our heart, in our life, maybe through a friend, maybe having nothing to do. Maybe you don't know a soul in this room, but you've been led to come here. Let me tell you that there are many people that are here and actively involved in the life of our church, and they cannot explain why they came the first time. They just felt like they were supposed to come. I think about John and Leslie Phillips. Drove up and down this road over and over and over again. And she would say, when are you going to take me to that church? When are you going to take me to that church? When are you going to take me to that church? I wish you'd take me to that church. They had been married for about 34 years. John struggled with alcohol on and off. He would, he would say to you that he was a, uh, an alcoholic that would, would, when trouble would come, he would begin drinking. Everything, everything was going all right. He was okay. He wasn't, he wasn't getting drunk. But when trouble would come, boy, that, that's when he would turn to the outward. So he was a very functional, hardworking guy, loved his wife, stayed with his wife, but yet he really was struggling. And they had never been to church anywhere. And they would drive up and down the road. She goes, when are you going to take me? Well, one Sunday he woke up and he looked at her and said, we're going to church. And their testimony, it's a beautiful testimony. I, I hope that one time you will ask them to, to tell it in their own words. But they parked the car, they walked up, they walked through the door, and they were just blown away. I mean, spiritually, emotionally. And it wasn't even anything that anyone said. They just started seeing the people of God gathering. 
They just started seeing that people knew one another here, that they loved one another here. They heard the words of Scripture. They heard the songs that we sang. They, had never, they, didn't, they didn't know any of them. And he looked over at her, and she's just, she's just wasted, just, just totally emotional. And he, this tough guy from Philadelphia, winds up just broken. Now, my friends, when we start to see that the gospel, that God just comes and gets us, God comes and works in us, He uses whatever it may be, a sign, a friend, an experience, and over and over again, we see that He was doing this. It's, it's not that we're doing God a favor by being here. It is that our church righteousness is not at all that which brings credibility before God. We come because of the gospel. Number two, what about our serve righteousness? Oh, well, I'm serving. I'm changing diapers in the nursery once a month. I'm working with the middle schoolers. That's one of the hard, right? I'm working with this. I'm working with that. I serve the security team, or I, I serve the people in my neighborhood, or I serve the people at my work, and they think that I'm great because I'm such a servant. Listen, that is and when we begin to think of our service as something grand and righteous, we begin to see that we may be elevating ourselves instead of the cross. Jesus was the greatest servant of all. And until we're laying down our life as Jesus did, and even when we do that, there's still no comparison to his sacrifice to ours. Number three, mercy righteousness. Some people say, well, I'm merciful to others. And that's, that's my area of right. Should we be merciful? Should we be at church? Should we serve? Absolutely. But when you begin to elevate and think highly of your mercy level toward others and, and elevate that, you can minimize the cross. What about number four, family righteousness? Our family has it together. We eat dinner together, or we do this, we do that. We love when our kids come home, our, you know, whatever it is, you, you, we can begin to think highly of our hard work with our family life. I, I want to say to you that there's many blessings from that, and that's good. But friends, that is not what causes you to be more righteous than others. Number five, political righteousness. How about the people that say, well, I believe the right things about politics. I, I voted for the right candidate, or I voted for this, or I voted for that. We can, we can look down our nose at others who have different politics than us. Number Six, intellectual righteousness. There's some people who would say, why? Well, I, I love to really think through things, and other people don't think through things as much as I do, and they should. And we can begin to think that, you know, we, we just, either in theology or in logic or in other things, being well-read, being well-educated, we can begin to think highly of ourselves in that. And then in, in doing so, we're putting our worth in our own intellect instead of in Christ and what he did on the cross for us. How about number seven, financial righteousness? Some people would say, well, I've been very successful. I've worked very hard. I've saved my money well. We've, we've been a good manager of what we have. And boy, look at all these people who don't manage what they have very well. You see, any of these things that can be really blessings or the right thing to do can deceive us into thinking that this makes us great and Christ less. Number eight, tolerance righteousness. Boy, that's a very popular one in this day and time, in this climate. The, the idea of tolerance, you know, that that is the highest good. 
and that, you know, there's, there's all kinds of confusion about that. But, you know, I'm a very tolerant person. We can, we can begin to um, put out all kinds of moral statements about my tolerance. What about number nine, job righteousness? I'm very faithful in my work. I have a good job. I've kept my job forever. You know, whatever it may be that you have a very elevated view of your work, that what I do is important to society, or what I do is important to these people. Well, that's very wonderful to have a good job. It's very wonderful to have a place of influence. It's very wonderful to be faithful in your job. But my friends, if you begin to have a self-righteousness based upon that and an identity in that instead of Christ, that is a great problem. Number 10, legalistic righteousness. You know, the idea of all the things you don't do and all the things that you do do when others do not. And again, that can become very similar to pretending in the comparison issue, but all the things. Now, look at the passage in light of both of these things that we've looked at, shrinking the cross by pretending or shrinking the cross, especially by performing, look at Titus 3. Look at Titus 3. Titus 3 in verse 4 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that's rebirth, that's being born again, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's God's Spirit that comes and brings salvation to your heart. Look at verse 6 whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Verse 7, so that being justified, not by our work, but being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of what? Eternal life. That is a glorious passage. That is a glorious passage helping us see how huge the cross is helping us see how it's not by our works of righteousness. It's all in Christ, in Christ, in Christ that we find our hope for forgiveness of sin and for the renewal and power to live that go, the way God has called us to live. So that is how we can shrink the cross. We can, we can tend to think highly of ourselves. We can tend to compare. We can tend to perform. We can tend to be self-deceived and pretend. But so how do we grow the cross? We'll take just a couple of minutes here to look at this one, and then we'll be done. Notice what it says. How do we grow the cross? And it's a good thing for us to seek to grow the cross. And it, you're, you're going to be shocked at this. You, some of you are going to be, really? That's it? What do we do? Here's what we do. We, we believe the gospel. We believe the gospel. It's not our works done in righteousness. It's not even all of our Christian disciplines that are made with the aim of gaining God's approval. No. We believe the gospel in believing that Christ has died and set us free, in believing that Christ, the eternal God-man, has laid down his life in our place, we find the true salvation that only he can give. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 8. Romans chapter 3, verse 8, look what it says. Indeed, I count everything as what? Loss. 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now look at how he names him. He says, everything about my life is nothing compared to knowing Christ, that means the anointed one, Jesus, that is Yeshua, his actual name means Jehovah saves, and then Lord. The picture is that he is the dominating king of kings and Lord of lords. He is recognizing who Christ truly is. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Paul's saying, I walked away from everything in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or the idea of keeping the law, but that which comes through, circle it, what? Faith in Christ. The righteousness from God. You see, it's God's righteousness given to us. That depends, what does it say? That depends on faith. You see, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to know God. Without faith, it is impossible to come before God. Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the righteousness, to the resurrection from the dead. This is the grand and glorious picture of the cross of Christ saving us from our sins. Now, this morning we don't have time to read Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26, but oh, how I want you to do that. I want you to do that. Put out there to the side of both of these Roman passages, homework. There's homework for you. Before you go to bed tonight, go and read over the whole notes, but go and read these passages in light of what is being said here. Notice what it says there. It all points to Jesus. God's great salvation, not through works, but through faith. It all points to Jesus. Romans 4, verses 1 through 8, in the same way. Here's the, here's the picture. The word blessed is used over and over again at the end of this passage where he's saying, blessed is the one who God declares righteous by faith. Now, my friends, in believing the gospel, the cross just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you see what God has done. Here it is. Believing the gospel is embracing passive righteousness. You say, what is passive righteousness. This is an important concept. It's, it's really the opposite of self-righteousness. Passive righteousness is when you go, and I, I often imagine it like this, that when you go and you stand under the flow, when you stand under the waterfall of God's grace, one of my favorite things to do is to go up to North Carolina and find beautiful streams out in the, out in the mountains. And uh, there's one, one particular waterfall that I think is just beautiful. It's called Looking Glass Falls. It's in Pisgah National Forest. And when I read Ephesians 1, and when I read passages like this in Romans chapter 4, I think about God's grace falling on us in a totally overwhelming way. 
I love to go swim up in that cold water to the base of that fall, climb out onto the rocks, and let that water just beat on me and cool me off in the summertime. I love to do that. Marcy won't even get near it. She hates cold water. And she looks at me and Cheryl and she goes, you're, you're crazy. Why would you do that? And, you know, I come away. And you know how I come away feeling? I come away feeling alive in a much greater way. Listen to this. When you go and you stand under the grace of God, thinking about what all God has done through Christ Jesus, and you believe what he has said, you believe the gospel, you hold on to the fact that he is the one that washes over you with his righteousness, that his blood washes away your sin and makes you holy before God. Listen, you'll feel alive. You'll come to see and understand as you believe the many great and precious promises of God's Word. This is the gospel. And when we come and we focus on that, the passive righteousness, the fact that God is pouring out His righteousness on me, on you, this is the beautiful, beautiful gospel becoming greater and greater to us. You see, there is a massive difference between works righteousness and grace righteousness. Works righteousness will take you to hell. Grace righteousness will take you to heaven. That is the great picture. You see, we are, fill it in, we are saved by God's grace, and we walk by God's grace. Even the process of being made holy is under His grace. It's not under your power. It's not in your strength. And this is very often, it's interesting that many Christians, they will come to believe upon Christ as the only hope for their salvation. They put their hope and their faith in what Jesus did on the cross, dying in their place. But then when it comes to live the Christian life, they seek to do it all in their strength. And friends, that's that's one of the great hang-ups on why many Christians never go on and grow. They think that it's up to them. Now, I do, I do recognize that as we studied last week, we see over and over again that the Scripture says, be diligent to hold on to the gospel. You be committed to hold on to the things that you've heard. You walk in obedience to God. There's no doubt about that. But listen, here's the great news. The fact that God has given His Holy Spirit to help you, to empower you, to strengthen you to obey. I remember as a college freshman, I called up my mom one night and I said, Mom, I can't do this. I cannot live the Christian life. I was at Florida State, people all around. I was trying to honor the Lord and I just felt like, man, I just, when God was giving out holiness, I didn't get any. That's kind of what was in my mind. And my mom said, well, Andrew, that's because you don't have a full understanding of the gospel. The gospel is this, that when Jesus saved you, he didn't just save you from hell, he saved you for life. He saved you for this life and even more for the life to come. So he has come to empower you to do it. So my dear friend, if you've been struggling with obedience, you've been, I want to just encourage you by faith to start to look to the gospel and say, Lord Jesus, your word tells me that you will come and do this in me. Help me. And you know, that is a prayer that God 
cannot resist. I don't like saying it that way because God doesn't need to resist anything, but I mean, the, you know what I'm saying. The picture is this, is that God loves faith, and he loves requests like that. If you begin to pray and to ask for God's strength, God's help, God's way, his grace, his power in your life, God will help you obey. So that's what we mean by walk by his grace and sanctification. See, fill this in, passive righteousness is the biblical truth that God saves us and empowers us. He doesn't only save you, but he also empowers you. So if you're having a hard time getting along with your husband, or if you're having a hard time getting along with your wife, it's time to just start looking to Christ for help. If you're having a hard time going forward in your career and you're really struggling, or maybe you're looking at your kids and you're really struggling with your parenting, maybe you're nervous about it, or maybe you're angry about it, maybe you're hurt about it. Listen, it's just time to start looking to Christ and and saying, Lord, empower me for this. Let what you did on the cross in saving me empower me to live in your way. You see, we grow the cross by believing the gospel. Number one, notice this, we grow the cross by recognizing, recognizing our adoption and identity in Christ. Um, We we, we have to recognize that he's made us his own. We just sang about it in one of the hymns that we just sang, that who we are in Christ. Number two, we grow the cross by remembering our position in Christ in Christ. You say, what do you mean by that, by remembering our position in Christ? Well, put a big circle around Ephesians, uh, these two points that are underneath this. I want you to put a big circle around it. Both of those lines start with Ephesians. So put one big circle around both of those lines. Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 and Ephesians 4 through 6. That's the whole book of Ephesians. Ephesians only has six chapters, and the whole book is right there. This is another great part of your homework. I want to put that out there to the side. Homework. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 talk about our position in Christ. What Christ has done to save us. Who he has made us. How our identity has changed. But Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 is how to practice the Christian life. This is our walk in life. So we have to get our position right, and once our position right is in Christ, sanctified through the blood of the Lamb that He has come and saved us, then we have the power to obey. We have the power to practice. Now fill this in. Our practice in life is to flow out of our position in Christ. I'm going to make that simpler in just a second. Our practice in life is to flow out of our position in Christ. Now, there's many, many people who would say, well, I I believe that I'm a Christian. I've come to faith in Jesus, but I'm just still really struggling and trying to live the Christian life and really trying to do that on their own. My friends, the same thing that saved you is the same thing that empowers you to live out the Christian life, to obey. Here's another way to say it. I am saved, therefore I act saved. I am saved, therefore I act saved. Um, Because I'm saved, I'm going to act like it. 
This is the idea that my dad used to say and that Pastor Billingsley used to say, <clears throat> used to, say to many of us, remember, <clears throat> excuse me, remember who you are. When he says, remember who you are. In remembering who we are, thank you, sweetheart. Remembering who we are and who he has made us to be, it empowers us to do what he's called us to do. Not only remember who you are, but remember whose you are. You're his. You're not the devil's, so don't act like the devil's kids. Act like the Savior's kids. So young people, when everybody's in the car and they're all headed to go do the wrong thing, and you're sitting there with them, and you know what's coming, that's when you just say, you know what? I'm his. I don't belong here. Hey, drop me off. Take me home. By the way, I've had to do that. I've been headed along with friends before and realized the plan has changed, and they're going to go do something else, and it wasn't the original plan or whatever it was, and I had to say, uh, take me home. You can say that. You can say that. You can say, take me home. You know, whatever it may be, and, and it can be in any gamut of anyone's life here, that when we come to realize that we are called to act like we're saved because we are saved. Now, I don't want to act like I'm saved because I want to be saved. I act like I'm saved because I am saved. Look at the next way I put it up here. I act saved because I am saved. That's, that's part of the picture there. Um, it's not in our works righteousness, but it's all in what Christ has done for us. Yes, no doubt, look at this with me. Yes, we strive, but not in our strength. We strive, but not in our strength. The life of faith finds its strength in Christ. We look to the cross. We look to his statement of love. We look to what he did to set us free. You see, as we do this, the cross of Christ becomes greater and greater to us. This is God's grand plan. Grow the cross. Don't shrink the cross, Sheridan Hills. Grow the cross. May we be more and more amazed at what he did on the cross when he died for us. May we be more and more um, empowered by his salvation. May we not think higher and higher and higher of ourselves. May we think more and more and more of what he has done and what he has done for us, in not only in the cross, but in giving us the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask if you would to please stand with me and look at the passage that is on the screen. This is one of the most quoted passages that I quote as a pastor as a Christian, and as a preacher. This is one that is worth you memorizing because this is the great power for you to obey the gospel. Okay, are you ready to read it? I'm going to read it out loud, and then we are going to read it together. Look what it says. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, look what it says, 
who loved me and did what? You see, there's the cross. There's the cross. There's the great big cross. It just keeps growing. It gets bigger and it gets bigger as we recognize He has done this. And so can I honor God at work? Yes. Can I honor God at home in my marriage? Yes. Can I work through the mess of whatever it is that you have in your life? Yes. But you only do it through him. Let's read Galatians 2.20 out loud together. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you for the cross. We do thank you that you loved us and gave yourself for us. Lord, I pray for the precious souls that are in this room that have been saying, I've never truly come to Christ because I've thought I'll just mess it up. I won't be true. I won't follow through. Father, I pray that you would give them light to see this morning that it's you who does it, that they just come and trust in you. Lord, may they hear these words. Would your Holy Spirit cause them to understand that you're calling them to believe in what you have done, not in what they will do. Lord, I pray that people would be saved today, that they would surrender to you today, that they would confess their sins to you and confess you as Savior today and the great high king over all of the universe. Father, I pray for that. And Lord, I pray that Christians today that have been really, really struggling and kind of pretending or performing, that they would just start looking to the cross and say, look what he did, look what he did. Lord, I pray that you would come and bring power to forgive a wife or to forgive a husband. I pray that you would bring power to be self-controlled. I pray that you would bring power to be patient. Lord, I pray that our whole Christian maturity would flow out of the cross of Christ, that we would see every answer there as we run to your word and believe what you've done and believe what you've said. Lord, help us that the cross would grow in our minds and in our hearts. And I pray that Friday night, that as we gather here to remember the cross, Lord, that we'd be amazed at how great your love is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you sing together?